welcome to another episode of Hey Mama. And today I've got the reins. I'm going to be interviewing your host, <laughs> Megan Brown. You're in your element. Yeah, I'm in control now. Yeah. <laughs> and what a um, what a sight! Totally different. Uh, I think I was yeah uh, a bit out of sorts last week with being uh, interviewed, but um, I think I think you did pretty well. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, let's dive in. In this season, we decided to rewind and talk a little bit about where we come from because over the years, we've been together almost 10 years. Over the years, we've really connected on past experience. Uh, we've learned why we are so passionate about what we are passionate mm -hmm. about. And we feel like it gives a lot of context to just who we are, what we do. So I wanted to ask you, where do you come from? <laughs> where do I come from? Yeah. Okay, so I grew up in a town called Camden in Sydney, so Western New South Wales. And it's like 40 minutes to the city. It's 40 minutes to a beach. Um, I loved it. I still love it. And uh, I feel like there is still some roots for me connected there, um, even though like I feel very at home in Brisbane now. But uh, I was the youngest of three. So I have a sister who was the oldest, a brother in the middle, and then myself. And my mum had all of us quite young and quite quick so I remember the story being told as well growing up that she had you know the the pain of all the struggle of um, three kids under five and um, my when I was nine so my parents were um, not right for each other for like we could see that even as young kids we were like what were, what were they even what are they even doing together because they would fight really badly they didn't align their values you know now being an adult and being in a, in a marriage myself and having children having a family their values did not align at all my dad was very um, physically fit mentally um, fit and um, my mum was the exact opposite. She always struggled with her weight. She struggled with um, an exercise habit. And um, so that's what I'm talking about in terms of values. And then yeah. also, you know, financially and stuff, they used to not align as well. Um, and the, the relationship started in a, in a not great start either, you know, like um, my mum's parents didn't approve of dad and all that kind of thing. Yep. So that's uh so so yeah they fought a lot there was um quite a lot of uh domestic violence in the way that they would um like yell and scream um mum was a bit of a name caller and um you know it would then turn into throwing things at each other and us kids just sort of left to our own devices to sort of handle it um, I've got a memory of, of me and my brother sitting outside on a, on the, we had a two-story house that we rented off my uncle and sitting outside just listening to when it was going to be over. And you just kind of don't know as a kid um, what to do in those sort of circumstances. You just, yeah, you sit there and you just wait for it to be over. So when I was nine years old, so then, you know, I'm the youngest and my, my siblings were a, a, a bit older than me. And so when I was nine years old, um, my parents finally separated. And I remember uh, being in the car, driving with mum and mum telling me that, um, you know, dad has left. Um, you know, this is probably... Um, a lot of detail in the way that my my mum changed the locks because my dad was so scared of losing us that he never left so he always stayed and 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 clinged on to some hope that we could still be a family so mum had to make the decision that she couldn't live like that anymore and that it wasn't healthy for us so she changed the locks they moved out um, she told me in the car on the way to mcdonald's you know just kind of soften the blow and I thought to me, the first thing that I thought at nine years old was, oh, good, no more fighting in the house anymore. Mm. I was going to ask you how that, because that would have been a pretty traumatic experience. Yeah. So, I mean, you you look back on it now and, and think, oh, yes, that must have been a traumatic experience. But at the time, you don't see it as traumatic. Mm. You just see it as 
there's no there's not going to be any fighting anymore um okay like this is just some kind of acceptance and the way that you're brought up in that era was okay you you have to just accept it and move on and pretend mm. that you're okay with everything you don't sit there and feel oh this is this is traumatic for me or this is upsetting no. for me but i do remember <coughs> um the feeling of not seeing my dad for 24 hours and then him coming and picking me up from school and seeing I was in the bus lines. And it was like a treat, you know, whenever dad would pick us up, like if he'd finished work early or something. And you'd sit in the bus lines just and just sometimes you'd get picked up. But if not, you knew to just get on the bus and catch the bus home. Um, and not seeing my dad for, I think it was 24, maybe 48 hours. I don't know, but it felt like a long time. And um, running to him and leaping in his arms, not caring about what anybody else thought, because I've just missed him so much. Mm. Um, and getting to spend some time with him, and so that—that's um, where that's the sort of upbringing that I had. So I had the influence of um, a dad that was highly involved, and. Um, heavily involved in like if I wanted to achieve something he'd be like okay great let's get into it how do we do this like struggling with my reading in kindergarten um and he was like okay we've got to read every night you're going to read to me and now I'm a fantastic fabulous reader and my kids are um others like have a fantastic habit re um, of reading as well so that's the kind of thing that he would do to help me if I wanted to do the cross country. All right, let's go and train for it. And at times I was, he was such a pain in the ass because he would be like, fix your knees and do this and come on, keep going, all this sort of stuff. And I'd be like, man, I just can't, I can't be bothered. I know I said I wanted to do the cross country, but now it's just hard work. Mm. So he was the pusher. And the, if you want to, if I wanted to learn how to rollerblade, he was there um, helping me, even though he had no clue how to rollerblade, he was there and gave it a go. And so that, it, that sort of shaped what kind of parent I wanted to be and what kind of, um, you know, how I got into fitness and how I got into an exercise habit and my dancing and all that kind of thing and how if you commit to something, you see it through. Mm. So that shaped that personality. And then there was my mom who was a very emotional creature um, and, uh, you know, struggled with exercise and it never was, it was, she was always on the latest diet and, um, yeah, it just didn't come naturally for her and it was it was a big struggle. Um, the diet side of things, like anything she basically ate, you know, she put on weight and if she, she would have to do some strict diet and basically eat nothing to be able to be like thin or mm. lose 10 kilos or whatever, right? Um, so I had two polar opposites mm. um, in, my, in my life. So and, it sounds like you were like really connected to that. Yeah. Um, how did that... How did that shape you through you know, your teenage years, early adult life, just before you became a mum? Early adult years before I became a mum? Yeah, so you had you had mum over here, mm -hmm. you had dad, mm -hmm. and you, you clearly took on more than more of dad's dad habits than, than, yeah. than mum. Yeah. So like, did you think about motherhood? How, what, what, what were the thoughts around that? How did it shape you in those, 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 yeah, that period? Yeah, so there were times, like, I always knew that I was going to be a mother one yeah. day um, and that I had a way of how I wasn't going to be as a mum and, and how I wanted things different for, um, for my children. Uh, but also at the same time, I was always afraid of being, um, being a mum and I, and I sort of didn't get clucky for a long time because I was so scared of would I be able to uh, do, do a good enough job. Like there were even times where because it was traumatic and not knowing at the time the things that we went through growing up, I was, I was even worried would I even be able to clean my own house? Would I even be able to, um, you know, <coughs> would I be able to carry on a regular life or a normal life um would i be able to cook for myself would i be able to clean for myself would i be able to run a household mm. all of those fears um that i had yeah and so for a long time i wasn't um i wasn't lucky to have children yeah okay. that answers your question 
yeah yeah it does it's just it's it's i was getting really emotional when you were mm. talking about your dad being uh, locked out mm -hmm. because it brought back memories of mum being locked out yeah uh and even like to the point of where i saw my dad and i wanted to be the complete polar opposite of him yes and you saw your mum and i suppose yeah. you wanted to be the polar opposite of yeah her. yeah so and i want to i want to say that we weren't there that night that dad got locked out yeah. so we were tried to be sheltered from that mm. um but yeah like i did take on more of dad and go yeah okay this is what i don't want to be and this is what i i, I kind of i want to be i know that that affected me in a positive way that affected me in a negative way and that's what i don't want and what i do want. yeah 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 cool so with your uh space your teenage years mm -hmm. early uh early yeah, adult, uh, what, what were some really big moments for you that started to kind of shape you or move you towards where you are now? Mm. I would have to say, because um, we haven't touched on this, but I have touched on it before about how I was a dancer. Yep. Um, so I grew up dancing. So as soon as I could basically walk and talk, I was like, I'm going to be a dancer. I'm going to be a dancer. Like, that's what I want to be. Um, there was no even getting me out of that. And uh, I got put into dancing at, like, I feel it was late. I was six or something. I was at school mm. already. So, like, even for me at that age, I was like, this is late. <laughs> you should have put me in a three. Mm. What have you been doing? Um, and I just remember that first ever class. And um, we did uh, we did a concert to Two Strong Hearts by John Farnham and um, Hey Mickey by whoever that was back then. Um, and I remember <laughs> my mum having to do the, getting help with having to do the costumes with the sequins and getting so excited about this yeah. performance. I was finally going to be on stage where I belong. Um, and yeah, that first concert was just everything to me. I knew all the moves. I was the, I came in late and they were already learning these, um, this dance, but I just somehow was just like, you know, this is it, this is who I am, and I'm going to show you this is what we have to do, you know, we have to get down and we have to jump up and we have to wiggle our hips and stuff. Um, so from then on, I was very serious about my jazz, jazz ballet um, and tap, and I, I, you know, got to do competitions, I got to do examinations, and I think that this is where you're trying to talk about with these. Yeah, well, um, with my, I used to do examinations, um, and I just, I think I thrived off, even though I didn't know at the time, because I had a lot of authority issues and mm. a lot of um, discipline issues, like yeah. you don't tell me kind of thing, but yeah. at the same time, <laughs> I loved going into dancing and getting that discipline, that yeah. structure, yeah. that working towards something and achieving it. And every week I would look forward to that. Um, and I remember, because I was talking about this the other day with you, because Logie is now going to start to do ballet exams next year. And I'm so, so excited for her because I know that she's just going to love it and thrive off it like I did. Yeah. Um, and that special, like even I, I think about it now about the the leotard, the, what colour it was and how we had to have a special badge if we complete, if we did exams you got to sew on a special badge um, and that's what you were representing the BAL and you had to have specific tights with no holes in them and the shoes had to be immaculate no jewelry your hair had to be immaculate and all this preciseness that I just absolutely loved um, and so then uh, I did competitions I did examinations and I got to adolescence at like you, you know year seven year eight and in year seven, um, I, I hated primary school, absolutely yeah. hated it. So I suppose the dancing was like the only thing that I really looked forward to. Um, I loved socialising, but um, at school, like all the teachers were absolutely hideous. Um, so Camden High School, you know, if you're, <laughs> if you're listening to this, you're all your teachers, sorry, not Camden High School, Camden Primary School was hideous. Um, and then about year four or five, Sorry, year five and six were coming out of um, 
better better years for me. Um, I started to feel a little bit more confident in myself. I suppose I went through a lot of self-sabotaging and um, uh, uh, unworthiness, uh, I guess, because I had so much pain from my um, at-home environment that yeah. I was bringing it to school. I couldn't concentrate. Um, I couldn't, I wasn't a good listener. I wasn't a good focuser, you know, like, like with, you know, Lois now, she, she focuses so amazing. And now I wish I had been a kid like that, but I couldn't, couldn't concentrate properly for, and I couldn't get what they were trying to teach and all that kind of thing. And then in the playground, I went through the ups and downs of socialization. I loved having friends, but I would do these testing things where I would then self-sabotage our friendship. It was kind of like I was seeing whether I was considered, whether I mattered, whether I was the most important thing to them because I needed to, I needed to know that, but then I was always getting validation that I didn't matter right so then year five and year six started to improve and I started to become a little bit more confident in who I was and I don't even know why I don't know why I got to so year seven I turned turned, so at the end of year six you turned I turned 12 Mm. in December Mm. so then I would have been 12 and I was going into high school turning 13 so I don't know between 11 and 12 I started to get um, by the end of year five, I started yeah. to get more confident and year six was a better year. Mm. Um, and I started to form like these great friendship groups. Um, and yeah. And then by when I went over to Camden high school, oh, I just felt so confident in yeah. who I was, um, but not on the inside, not the inner child that was still painful mm. and I was still hurting. But on the outside, I had this massive persona of I'm loud, mm. I'm little, um, I'm cute, I'm funny, I'm this. So yeah, like I, I attracted all the boys. Um, they loved my personality. I attracted this big group of friends that came from um, you know, other schools like Oaks and Oakdale and stuff. We all came together as a big, massive group. And I got these, this awesome social um, setting, right? Mm. So uh, I was still continuing to do my dance. And I remember getting like, you know, you write letters to each other, like friends, boyfriends, all that kind of thing. And I remember getting a letter going, oh, you got, you've got dancing tonight. You always have dancing. And I started to notice that, um, I wasn't getting this the social hit, like I was missing out on things, I was missing out on parties, I was missing out on sleepovers and stuff because I was always at dance, tra- yep. training hard, and I started to lose it. I started to lose the passion for dancing or could, couldn't be, it's not that I didn't have the passion, I couldn't be bothered being there because I wanted to be so orientated with my peers and we're reading that i'm reading that book right now and it makes yep. so much sense yeah well as you kind of saying this like i can see that you were the youngest you would have felt so out of control mm. whilst all of that was happening in the home and then you're telling me that you started to get more confident after that whole uh breakup mm-hmm. and, so it was like uh, two years after yeah, right like two things, or three things years. must have settled down in the home like mum must have been right in a way mm. that it would have been better off in the long run had that split happened. Mm. Would you agree? Yeah, like I mean, my mum was still, <clears throat> my mum was very stressed out, so I think I did kind of like a disassociation from the home. Yeah. So um, when that's what, like, I spent a lot of times, and it was very like turmoil. You know, my my dad living with like being a boarder yeah. for a while until he got his own house, living with other people from work and stuff like that. And we'd go over and visit, mm. um, and I didn't care because I just wanted to spend time with my yeah. dad. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then mum was at home and she was very stressed out doing it by herself and working working full time and then getting us together and uh, like to go, to go to school and stuff like that. So I think that there was a lot of, I think it's it calmed down because it was no more like kaboom, yeah. like massive big fighting. Yeah. Um, but there was, yeah, there's still the emotional term. And being one of the only families in that town, yeah being separated, you know, or being my parents are separated, my parents are divorced Mm. and hanging around a lot of um, kids that had families that were all together and stuff, you definitely get jealous and you feel like an outsider and you feel like you don't belong. So, but, but yeah, I, I I think maybe by 11 and 12, I started to, you know, you start to get a little bit of independence, right? Mm. And you start to get a little bit more freedom. You have the realisation that you've got control 
Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah, that's possibly what it was. Like you yeah. get a little bit more control. Because I did the same thing. I uh, put up a facade. Yes. My inner child was still trauma, traumatized. Yes. But I put up a, a big facade to say, hey, I'm, I'm you know, I'm the king. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm loud, I'm, I'm proud. Loud, and yeah. 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 yeah, definitely. So um, I suppose in, yeah, and then for, for a few years there in primary school, um, I felt like, I felt like shit. Like yeah. I felt like I was um, unworthy and yeah. I was the outsider and I was ugly. Mm. And I had definitely went through an ugly duckling syndrome. Like um, when I was during, so during primary school, I had the ugly duckling um, I felt and I got teased a lot about freckles, the colour of my hair, how I was pale, mm. all that kind of thing. And, and it happened in the home as well. So um, it wasn't as if like I would come home and, um, and get a rest from that like it was solidifying and validating mm. at home about my looks um, so then I'd go to school and cop it as well so it's like okay it must be true and then something happened within the 11 or 12 where I started to feel a little bit more um, a little bit more good looking and a little bit more and then in year seven like somehow I was very um, I still felt ugly mm. but on the outside everyone thought that I was really pretty and funny and attractive and, you know, had this massive personality. Um, so, yeah, we went, so then um, that's that's how I, I, I got to put on that facade, even though I was hurting and I had the social life. And I, then I started to go off the rails a little bit in terms of the dancing. Yeah. And, um, I started to not want to go anymore and not, and not compete because the competing training was on a Friday night. And so I'd, I'd have to, sometimes I'd drag some friends, which I don't want to say drag because some of them didn't mind. Like mm. they come home with me after school and I'd say, right, I've got to dance for a couple of hours. So you get to sit there and watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I remember I've got to visualize one of my friends um, sitting in the classroom watching me dance for a couple of hours because I had to train. And then I'd have to start doing, and then I'd do competitions on Saturday or Sunday yeah. and we'll and you know boys started coming into play and I want to hang out I want to go you know out to the oaks and the properties and all that kind of thing and just be free Mm, Um, so I I ended up quitting dancing Um, and when I told my mum and my dad I suppose because it was very expensive and I always used to hear how expensive it was they were just like okay if that's what you feel like doing then you know that's what you that's that's what you can do like Mm. great you know we're going to save some money on the bills um, so yeah, I, I quit dancing. Um, and I think it was in year, it might've been in year eight or something. Um, and then you kind of get lost and yeah. you have no purpose anymore. Yeah. Well, your purpose becomes your peers. Yeah. So my purpose was all around my peers and my mm. social group, but it wasn't, um, the greatest of, of, um, purpose because we would go to parties and we would, you know, like there's marijuana, there's alcohol, there's, oh, my, our parents are, you know, had a best friend that her parents was sort of like off doing her own thing. Then her parents split up mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the parents weren't home. So you get into the alcohol mm-hmm. or, you know, like people would introduce you to, yes, smoking, smoking bombs, all that kind of thing. And um, the purpose was not very helpful mm-hmm. for um, a teenager that was already feeling lost and and um, insecure and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you got validation. Got validation from my peers. Yeah, yeah. And then like you know, drinking. What yeah. do you do to drink? You're like, what do you do? Um, why do you drink? Is you drink to forget and to feel better. So yeah. even at a young age, you do stuff like that to be ah, you know, and laugh yeah. and have fun, and forget, and then feel like your life is okay for that that, that sort of moment. Yeah. Yeah. So you've switched now. You're not disciplined and training for dancing. Yeah. You've lost some purpose. Mm. Where'd that take you? Down that path of yeah. like partying, um, yeah, doing doing the likes of drinking and um, smoking marijuana. Not that I did that much because it made me incredibly paranoid. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, I don't like this. Um, the way that it makes me feel or anything, but yeah, so you're still around that stuff. And, yeah. Um, How long will that last? Oh, until year eight, the end of year eight, I think. 
um, when you, when I, so for some reason, so I went through a few boyfriends and stuff like that and did some self-sabotaging on that as well. Yeah. Um, because I just, it was seemed to be a habit and I didn't even realize at that point in time that what I was doing, but I still just continued to do it. Uh, and then there was a time where I wanted a serious boyfriend. Like in year eight, you start thinking, oh, I want to, I want to get out of that kind of scene and I want a boyfriend. Um, and so I got into a serious relationship that lasted like nine months or something like that. Um, so that's where that took me. In year nine. Yeah. You're eight, year nine. Yeah. Yeah. So you're 10, you're 11, you're 12. Mm. So, <laughs> so. It yeah, seems like nine. a really small window. You said you started, like you quit dancing around year eight. Oh, yeah. So I was diving in and out of it. So even though I quit, you know, if there was opportunities to do yeah. a casual class here and there. Yeah. Like, and I mean, of course, the timeline's going to be a bit vague because, yeah. like, it's so long ago. Yeah. But yeah. you were drinking, taking drugs, going to yeah. parties yeah. to the end of your And then I wanted to say, yeah, I think so. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, no, no. I go, like, I go in and out of these things pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so, so I got into... a serious relationship? Is that right? Year, like about halfway through year eight and then nine months, yeah, whatever right. that was. Okay. Um, so what, what are you, are you 15 in year nine? Something like that. Yeah. So if I was. Yeah, I was 16, 10, so. So 13 in year eight, 14 in year nine. What? Really? So 15, at the end of year eight, you turn 15 or year nine, you turn 15? Maybe it's year nine, you turn 15, I turn 15 at the end of year. So maybe it was year nine that was the was the boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. And then and, um, and then another uh, So you know what? Year 10 was such um so then I I had that serious relationship and I um I ended up getting bored and I was like, <laughs> I need to be free again and I need to do, I'm missing out on all this partying yeah. and all this peer yeah. orientation and stuff. So I ended that and I went down another little path of, um, of uh, yeah, like of getting, you know, out there with my friends and partying and doing all the typical teenager stuff. And then I, um, at 16, I had a, a quite abusive a boyfriend. Okay. Um, and, you know, like when he would get drunk, he would say like horrible things about me. And um, he would he would call me these disgusting words. And I would sit there and cop it. And by the way, this dude was so ugly. <laughs> and and like ugly and and I mean ugly on the outside and then ugly on the inside and that's what you know the thing is if someone's ugly on the outside but they've got a beautiful soul and a beautiful person you know you can kind of look over that yeah. but yeah he's just a horrible person yeah. that I got involved with because obviously I was lost okay. obviously I was lost again and I was just proving those validations of I'm not good enough I'm not I'm um, I don't matter I'm not considered um, so you keep saying I'm not considered. Mm. Yeah. So you yeah. feel like you weren't considered. And that's just a new word. That's a new buzzword that I'm just finding out about myself right now. Yeah. Like that's what the self-sabotaging yeah. is about. That's what the, I, I'm not good enough. Yeah. yeah. Cause I know the parenting stuff that we like read mm. really dives into how, uh, kids need to feel significant. Belonging and significance. Yeah. yeah. So you feel like you weren't didn't feel like you belonged or didn't feel significant through those early years. Mm. That's what shapes yeah, your so relationships yeah, moving forward. Definitely, because, you know, you think about um, parents fighting yeah. and, and yelling and screaming and not considering what's happening to the children at that time. Yeah. Yeah, so, and that happening again and again and again, and, and they're more rambled up in what their problems are. Yeah. Yeah, to and I think it's just the belief that comes over you. Not that they deliberately did that, no. but it's just the scenario and the environment that was. Yeah, yeah. We've had blinder fights, by the way. So we're not standing here or sitting here um, on our pedestal. Definitely not, because we're sitting here acknowledging. Yeah, like I can see it in your eyes, and I can see it. In, like I can. Yeah, we well, start to think about those times. Yes. Yeah. And the, are we considering it? Are we, we're getting more, we're getting better at actually saying to them, Hey guys, we're having a fight right now. We're angry at each other. It's okay. (laughs) We'll get through it, but we're just having that moment right now. And we're, and I'm talking right now. We're not perfect because yeah, this is only just happening. Yeah. But yes. Um, 
So, yeah, I think, and like I said, not on purpose if the parents do it. No, no. But it just happens and you get that self-belief. And yep. so you go through life looking at all the ways that you're being shown, mm. you're not being considered mm. and you're not being, you don't matter. Mm. And then also, like I talk about the self-sabotage, I've done things like tests, yeah. throwing tests to out test there to see mm. if I matter, if I'm worth it, yeah. am I the most important thing? And I've been considered high maintenance before. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been considered high maintenance by friends, by by boyfriends, all that kind of thing because of those actions and behaviours that you don't even realise you're consciously doing. So, yeah, the 16-year-old, like, abusive boyfriend, um, it took me a long time. I had people even say to me, what are you doing with him? Like, he was a footballer, right? So I was like, yeah, I want to be with a footballer. But... Um, horrible horrible person and I was just sort of putting up with it because I didn't have a sh like I was just a sh bit of a shell of a person at 16 I'd lost I don't know why but I at 16 uh, I was a terrible age for me because I wasn't having fun I was so insecure and I was allowing someone to to validate how insecure I was um and I'd even had him push me across um a, a park uh, New Year's Eve and um, in, in like pretty much daylight was before the, the um, sun had gone down or anything because he was um, been drinking and when he drank um, things came out in him his securities came out in him yeah and they were taken out on me and I just just basically allowed it and even considered becoming a lesbian that night as well um, because a really nice girl that was there um, took me under her wing and took care of me for the rest of the night and um, kept me away from him. So that that sort of unraveled um, another piece of, okay, maybe I am worth something. Maybe yeah. I, I don't have to put up with this and, hey, I'm missing out on life again. Mm. So then comes that next trend of um, wave, yeah. wave of I'm getting out of here and I'm getting into the delving into the party scene yeah. i'm delving into the validation scene of mm. i'm i'm worth it i'm i'm awesome i've got a great personality i'm beautiful i'm attractive i'm this i'm that and i started going to underage rave parties with friends yeah. having fun having the best like 17 was probably like a fantastic age for me 17 18 um because i was you know just getting validated yeah, yeah left right and center mm. but it wasn't in a healthy way yeah sounds pretty volatile like there were lots of ups and downs, Ooh, and downs. Yeah. when did it settle down so when do you think the highs got lower and the lows got higher when do you think like you think of like a roller coaster mm. going up and down yeah when do you think it started to kind of come together you had this abusive relationship yeah it's pretty young to be in a i know it's ridiculous yeah relationship yeah. 16 yeah. i don't know what i'd do if i would if one of our girls was 16 and it was getting pushed across the park. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I didn't know what, I didn't, and you know what I didn't even tell my parents. And I didn't even tell my brother. I didn't tell my, um, I didn't tell anyone. I mm. hid it quite well until after the fact. Yeah. I hid it quite well because I obviously felt as though I deserved it or I didn't want to cause trouble or I don't know. Yeah. I just didn't, I didn't tell it. My dad knows now. How, anyway. how would you, how would you want your daughter to know that she can tell you something like that oh i would definitely want them to well how would you make sure that she tells you something like that well i connect i i feel as though i connect with my kids on a daily basis okay. um and i ask them questions i poke i'm a, a big nosy parker <laughs> um i poke i prod i um we yeah, chat about we chat about things that you're grateful for or mm. things that I don't know that happened in your day. I ask questions so like make it that. A habit. Pardon? Make it a habit. I make do. I definitely make it a habit of talking to my kids and mm. having that um, debriefs of, of anything. Mm. And sometimes you'll even see that if if they haven't had a debrief, it comes out in, a, in, a, in at a time. Yeah. Like if they haven't had that chance to have a debrief with mum, it just ends up blurting out 
in uh, on the way to the shower or yeah. and you'll even joke like oh you know they do anything to avoid doing the you know the, the, the yeah. shower yeah. or, or yeah. you know doing <laughs> what needs to be done yeah. but it's actually them like verbalizing yeah. what they haven't been able to get out yeah. and i'm noticing it more and more with logs now miri's because i've created that habit with miri first mm. and then logs second and logs has picked up on it and seen it that then she now you know i don't even have to ask her what three things that i don't know about your day mm. only if she's being quiet yeah i will i will poke, poke it, it. Yeah. poke it prod yeah. it yeah. um and i just always validate to my girls or try and empower them that you uh don't ever put up with you know don't like know your worth mm. don't ever put up with um people speaking to you like this or this is not a healthy relationship that's not a friendship if yeah. someone's treating you like that i've always done the other way around as well as how would you feel like um if so and so did that to you you know um don't be exclusive like uh, you know yeah. like um, not including people and all that kind of thing i put i get them to put themselves in their shoes and um yeah so i've done a lot of work with them and with myself because of my past yeah yeah because of all the experiences that i've had and i and then i just i just do it do the things that i wish i had or teach them the things that i had wish mm. i had been taught mm. yeah so yeah less volatility what what at what age do you think starts to settle down for you? For volatile. Yeah, yeah. So when did you leave your partying days behind? When did you? Okay. Start uh, yeah. To... Fast forward. Um, I left my partying days behind when I was um, nineteen. Okay. Yeah. Still pretty young. Yes. But you started young. Yes. Like I did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I don't 19... wanted to. Yeah, nineteen. But that doesn't say that I've gone through little patches of. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Of course. But. Things that are set around, uh, settled down for you around 19. Right, 19. What settled them down? Oh, getting into a, another relationship. Yeah. yeah, basically. Like, I, oh, actually, I made the choice. So at around 18, I made the choice of, like, that partying wasn't making me feel good anymore. Yeah. Like, my body was actually feeling physically sick. Yeah. Yeah. So I every time I would take anything or I would drink or whatever, my body would have this adverse effect to it mm. and feel sick in the stomach. And I used to think, what's going on with me? How come these people can like be out and partying and all that kind of thing? And all of a sudden I can't handle it. Yeah. My body's telling me no. And mm. then I couldn't get the same fix. I couldn't mm. get the same high. So I was just like, you know, what's the point in this? I'm yeah. just wasting my money and putting poison in my body. Yeah. So um, I started to clear, clean my act up around that time i started to get I, I, at 18 i got a full-time job mm -hmm. um, i stopped mucking around like with my career and stuff and i got into dental assisting and had to travel into the city um every day so um yeah on the weekends i would still party a little bit but like i said it wasn't you know overly mm. yeah and then i ended up getting into a serious relationship at 19 again um, with someone that was 10 years older than me. And I was like, oh, here we go. Mm. This will be it for me. This will rescue me out of my hideous life. <laughs> yeah. um, this is my knight in shining armor. He'll take care of me. Um, he'll be my rescuer. Not knowing that later on, I needed to find out that I'm my own rescuer and I have to take responsibility for my own life um, and my own pain. And uh, so, so yeah, that's when things started to settle down, but settle down in the party ways, but not settle down. What happened then was getting into a relationship where you fall in love, puts all the shit, brings it all to the surface, brings all your security. You know, you don't have drugs and alcohol to mask any of that anymore. Mm. So it brings it all to the surface. It brings all your insecurities, all your issues. Um, and all of that stuff back up. So um, I was actually talking to someone very powerful today and it's either one or two things. You either work on your, like if you, it either triggers you, all your baggage in a relationship or you're in a safe relationship where you're able to heal. Mm -hmm. So I did some healing in that relationship for sure and, yeah. I th and I'm thankful for it, grateful for it. Um, but I did, a, it was a lot of painful baggage that came up that i had to work through um and then i had amira for with with my previous partner my ex-husband and when i had her 
this this light came in me and um i and i enjoyed the whole pregnancy i loved it it was my fate it's been you know every, each time i've been pregnant it's been the favorite part of my life i i love it i enjoy it so much and i just think i'm so incredible for creating this life and what we can do as mamas and um, when i had her this light came over me it was like what are you teaching your you, you have a daughter you've got to think about what lessons you're going to teach her how you're going to bring her up and i knew i was not in the best relationship for me we brought out the worst in each other we triggered each other massively mimicking each other's parents relationships mm. coming together and um I had a lot of uh, manipulation happening and a lot of like, because like a lot of playing on how I felt I needed to be rescued and how I felt I needed to be. Yeah. So it sounds like quite to me that you were looking for someone to rescue you and then your ex-husband was looking to save someone. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know that because you know the history. Yeah. But uh, I suppose you skipped over a lot in how did you fall into this relationship and where did you find yourself? For everything to blow up because things just don't blow up unless there's space for it to blow up right mm -hmm. so you got into this relationship you fell in love mm. um when you guys met <laughs> so at 17 we met at an under 18s um it was actually mardi gras weekend and it was a i can't even remember what the rave was called but it was massive at homebush bay yeah um, and yeah, I was 17 at the time. He lied about his age and said he was much younger than what he was. Mm -hmm. We didn't get together for two years after, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're 19. Yeah. And then how does he save you? To save me from the party in ways or something, I suppose. Is yeah. that what you mean? Well, it's up to your interpretation. But what did he save you from? Like you're in Sydney. Mm. You're traveling into work. You've got a full-time job to be consistent. You love mm. that job. Mm. Yeah. I did love that job. Um, yeah. I did love the job and I love the people that I met. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, I th well, I thought that I needed to be rescued in the way that I needed someone to take care of me. Mm. Like I said before, I didn't know how I was going to live. Like, yeah. I didn't know whether how I was going to turn out after this experience of my upbringing and me and my sister even talked about it before i'm surprised we can even cope like yeah. we can even look after ourselves and we can function yeah. i think it was the word that i used mm. and here we are functioning can you believe this mm. because i didn't know whether i was going to be able to hold and like run a household cook i couldn't cook yeah. when i met him yeah. i couldn't cook i could barely boil vegetables on the stove he taught me how to put vegetables in a pot yeah. and put water in and boil them and that's how you cook vegetables so i was like holy shit like i was living off takeaway like living with my we skipped over a lot how i moved in with my dad, dad yeah. at yeah. 16. Yeah. yeah um me and mum had a blow up and i got kicked out and yeah. um that sort of she did that as a hoping i would learn my lesson and beg to come back but mm. it actually backfired on her and i packed up my stuff and was never returned so i skipped over a lot of that stuff where mum got into another relationship and um moved us in it was only me left in the household my brothers my brother and sister had had gone mm. um so it was just me left and i was young so i had no choice but to move into this person's house mm. um and i hate for your belongings yeah, definitely didn't belong. Um, I was told that things were weren't mine, and mm. you can touch this, but you can't touch yeah. that. You can eat this, you can yeah. you can't eat that. So I definitely felt like absolute rubbish. Yeah. Um, and that was at the time that I was with it, the abusive relationship as well. Okay. So yeah, um, and then I got into the the partying and the, all of that to escape that and, yeah. and never be home. And look for like I suppose I stayed with that boyfriend because I could hang out at his house and not be at home. Yeah. You know, I was always looking for somebody else's home. Attachment. Attachment, just something else, mm. something else that made me feel safe and loved and belonged and connected. I was always looking for that escape. Yeah. So I was jump. Yeah, I would look for and hang out at other people's houses because mm. um, so I didn't feel at home. Yeah. Um, it's taken me to this day, this thirty-six years old, to actually feel at home. Yeah. Yes, I've never felt at home. I yeah. feel at home with you. That's the next story. <laughs> so you're nineteen. We didn't meet in Sydney. 
Where did you go? Oh, I went to I went to Dubbo. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so I went to Dubbo at Dubbo. nineteen. Yes. I flew down. Yeah. I flew down um, because he asked me to come and visit him, and um, I was like, yeah, like this, this could be it. Like, this, <laughs> this could be my knight in shining armor, and this could be this is my rescuer. This is my escape from my hell hole in my head, um, and feel home. Yeah, finally feel home and feel loved and safe and connected. Um, so I went down there instantly. We we fell in love. Um, spent the weekend together. I flew back, and then it was a nine month process of how do we get me down there. So I do have um, the memory of the terms and conditions in our relationship. Of um, this cannot like so after the fact of going down there, falling in love. I can't fly back, and he says to me. Um, the only way that we can be together is if you move down here. I can't move up there. So if you can't move down here, that's it. Like, we're done. So 19 years old, 29-year-old, heavily in love, thinking that this is this is it for me. This is um, the love story. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll move down there. Like, no worries. So let's just, like, spend this whole nine months of fast-tracking my traineeship, um, my, my independence, my freedom um my first time independence and feeling confident in the job fast track the um the traineeship they were very supportive and said yeah okay if you want to move we'll fast track it and we'll help you get the certification um so i did all that nine months um later we i'm packed up all my stuff um in a car and left my dad that i was i was living with um and moved down to to dubbo and god like i'll start crying here and now looking in the revision mirror of my dad on the driveway watching us drive away oh um so yeah i did that i packed up and left all my friends um and you know what family i had and i, I developed such a beautiful strong bond to all these amazing people in sydney as well i packed up and moved away from all of that yeah. and started fresh in dubbo with not knowing anyone but him and his family yeah and that sucked yeah that sucked big time i was treated like an outsider i was um not liked uh so that just took not liked by his family or no well i mean his, i felt not good enough for his family because i thought that this was the perfect family yeah. you know they were all together there yeah. were six kids so you carrying oh yeah stuff yeah, into yeah that. definitely yeah. when i met them the first time i met them i walked out going wow your family is so beautiful and then yeah I felt like rubbish. Yeah. So I carried all of that. Um, people didn't like me, but maybe that was because I displayed, you know, you know, attracted not not to like me. Mm. Work went from a beautiful um, surgery at Australian Health Management to a little two or three surgery um, dentist place there that did not have structure and mm. did not have um drive and all this everything off. that i thrived off that I, that's why i enjoyed being a dental mm. assistant in the city yeah, same as the dance the yep. dancing right yep. um so went there and i had already these girls did not like me already before they even met me because the the lady that interviewed me hired me on the spot in sydney yep. and rang them up and said um, no more interviews. We've found someone. She's moving from Sydney, so they already didn't like that. Um, and a lot of people that I found in Dubbo just did not like me because of I don't know, my persona or my um, Sydney vibe. Mm. I don't know. So um, I had a very non-understanding partner to that. It was just like, you know, well, I've got to work. I work twelve hours a day, mm. sixteen hours a day. You do you, boo, and. Mm. You know, you learn how to survive. You learn how to make um, friends here, mm. or you just be friends with my friends, which his friends weren't very nice to me either. Mm. Um, the girl had a had a problem with me, um, so then that the oh the best friends girlfriend, so yeah. she already didn't didn't like me. Mm. Um, so it was just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So so there that, were many times the where I wanted I was... to pack up and and yeah. leave. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah. Um, that's the space I, was, I suppose trying I was to feel talking yeah. about is, is things don't blow up in your face mm -hmm. until there's a space for it to blow up. Yeah. And the space was you moving to a brand new location, having no one to talk to. Yeah. Uh, and no, nothing to do until I suppose your 
boyfriend at the time, fiance, came home yeah. from work. Yeah. Um, I was a sad, lonely girl. I got a puppy. Yeah. He bought me a puppy <laughs> to um to keep you to keep me. Yes, to keep me. Yes, because yeah. I wanted to go to I wanted to leave just um back to Sydney. I wanted to go back to Sydney even in the first six weeks. Mm. So in the first six weeks, we got a puppy. Yeah. Um, to keep me company, hoping that that would fill the void and that yeah. that would make me feel better. Yeah, and you don't know, only know what you know, so I suppose Absolutely. you thought that's what would fill, fill the void. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so then you... And none of these people are connected with as well, you know, yeah. going down there and then trying to blend in with his, his friends mm. and his family. I was completely different to them, mm. so there's no... How was I supposed to connect? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So you... Um, you end up having Miri. I did, yeah. Mm. So fast forward all of that. I still went ahead and 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 got married. I felt like you know I'm I had this. I'm the luckiest girl alive. I should be grateful for what I have. Yeah, right. That was the yeah, and the and story. find my and my and also find my people. So I did go and search out and found my people. I did pole fitness, and I became an instructor. And I yep. found out that you know I was very good at it. Yeah. So then I fell pregnant, and then I became an, and I was already an instructor. So I was on that pole until they basically kicked me off that pole, and I was too big, because mm -hmm. that was my sense of belonging and connectiveness, and I absolutely thrived and loved it. Right. Yep. So um, there I was, and then I had Miri um collie baby for the first five weeks put it couldn't breastfeed all that kind of thing tried to but couldn't i had no support um, um my mum had breastfed all three of us no problem oh, she had the problem with um steve but you know like oh i know i had cracked nipples oh that never happened to me i don't know i don't know what's going on there so i was just like oh i'm just a big failure i can't do the breastfeeding i felt like i've got the shame and the guilt of not being able to feed my child what's best for them um, and so she was on the bottle quite early. She started sleeping through at five weeks and smiling at five weeks. She was my absolute pure joy and my, um, I felt like she was a bit of a rescuer as well. She came into my life and, and showed me, wow, if I can grow a baby and I can birth a baby and I can survive that and I can raise this child, I, you know, I must be something. Yeah. And I wanted to be something for her. Mm. And um, so for a while, there was still in a dental assistant job that I didn't really like for a couple of days a week. And I just looked forward to raising this, my Miri May. Um, and then it, before two years was up, before she even turned two, I knew that it wasn't right in our relationship. We weren't connected. I, I wanted more for myself and I wanted more for Miri. And I didn't want to, and I knew if I stayed, because I deeply loved him and I never deny that. If I stayed, I would have had to live out his life and his dream um, and lose a big part of myself and just squash that big zest for life, freedom, experienced, driven kind of personality that I had and wanted um, more and more out of life. So before she was even two, I'd, I'd already checked out in my head that, yeah, this, this wasn't for me, but I didn't know how or what, how, what was going to happen. Um, so I, in, I got into the fitness industry because I went from pole to um, then doing my certification and I was a bit scarred from pole because I had a bit of a, you know, out, um, you know, what do you call it? Like a, a bit falling, of falling out. out, that's it. A falling out with um, the owner there because I didn't feel she was running things like ethically. Um, so I was doing my personal training certificate at the time. So I was like, oh. Um, so I left and I kind of just pursued like my own thing. I pursued my um, like PT like uh, with my friends. So I get mama, other mama friends and I train them in the parks or in, in the backyard of my house and, um, you know, just, just charged them five bucks or ten bucks <laughs> a session and they were willing to pay me um, and they were paying for my time and I would buy equipment with that. I would buy boxing gloves and I even bought like shirts, Lorna Jane shirts with their money and gave them to them and said, you know, it was no pain no gain and I was like yeah like we're this little crew 
Um, and so my confidence was building and I was raising this little girl and I was having such a beautiful time being this mum. And, and the, but there was like a lot of missing on the outside over here. And, um, and then when I started to get into the gym more and I started to do some classes and build more confidence in myself and um, I started building my own life, meeting new people, meeting new friends, yeah. and they were totally separate. So my life, my, me and uh, my ex-husband's life was going like this. Yeah. And, you know, even though he could see, he could see the falling out and he could see the pieces just fading away. He tried, but it was all like tried to hang on. It was already just too late, you know, um, and I couldn't stay because if I stayed, then I would have had to just live out the Dubbo life, not yeah. go anywhere, not do anything, not experience anything, having holidays every two years for no more than 10 days at a time all that kind of thing and it's just not me and I yeah. rediscovered myself through all this like I, I believe that mums go through their own transformation a rebirth um when they have a child when they um yeah uh, so yeah it's uh it, it brings to mind Nelson Mandela's story of how he uh you know was in apartheid in South Africa and then he was jailed and then it was only in jail did he find himself and he actually came out and yeah. became the president of the country that would otherwise have never had a black man as a president and it sounds like Dubbo was the, the perfect isolation for you to turn into the, like the, the woman that you were always meant to be mm -hmm. uh, and and the catalyst for that was having Miri yeah um, so she was definitely someone who taught you huge life lessons mm -hmm. uh, your value now is freedom yes and I think that freedom value has always been there it's just now it's being channeled in more productive in ways productive ways for sure yeah. because if we think back about the times that I couldn't concentrate in school and you mm -hmm. know I just wanted to hang out with my friends and socialize and stuff it's mm -hmm. very much that freedom based value yeah and not being able to control my environment yeah so therefore you're always searching for freedom i guess yeah so you found some sort of control and discipline in fitness yes and yeah in dancing yeah and in dancing and in being a dental nurse uh, in pole as well and then the freedom that comes from the structure of having control and discipline is is the way you have to challenge, you're sort of challenge, channeling that freedom now. Mm. What makes you? Because I think a lot of it, a lot of the listeners will want to know. You know what makes you? What makes you so growth? Uh, so growth orientated. As a mum, I mean, you what worry about how you're communicating with your kids? You, clearly take care of yourself you and you've got all of this stuff that you're kind of keeping up in the air it looks like a perfect juggling act but it's mm. not like oh definitely it, not it, sometimes a, one thing has to prioritize the other so what, what keeps you going then what, you know what keeps you going for what what keeps you from throwing your hands up in the air and saying oh, it's too hard to keep up all the balls mm. so it's that it's that inner drive from that inner child, I think, from when back, way back when I, I didn't have that control over my life. And I always thought, when I get that chance to run the show, I want to like make it better. I don't want my kids to go through, and this is what we're talking about as well. I don't want my kids to go through the same struggles and pain that I went through. So I'm always looking for how can I make things better? How can I make their experience better? Mm. Um, and I know that looking after myself, like things that I can control, right? So then we get the freedom, what you're talking about before, is I can control my environment. So I can control like that there is good food readily available for me and the kids. And I know that when that is controlled, we thrive because it makes us feel better. I have the energy, I have the capacity. Um, and then when I, and I know with the discipline with the exercise is that that too gives me the energy, gives me the drive, gives me my me time. It gives me looking and feeling and functioning well. 
Mm. right? So then I can be the best I can be for them. Mm. And then that's where I have the patience and the capacity to go, how was your day? What three things are you grateful for? What three things do I don't know? What tell me something I don't know about your mm. day? If I didn't do all of that mm. and I didn't do these self-development books, I didn't read every night, so then that way, so they're the reading every night is educating me on how I can be a better mom or how I can be a better person, wife, everything, every day, then that also makes me sleep as well because I'm reading this stuff, I'm educating myself, but it's also telling my body to wind down at night to be able to get better sleep because of the chronic fatigue story, you know that, that I've, mm. I've got, I've forgot how to sleep so i need to rest yeah right yep. i need to rest so then i wake up and i'm i'm good to go mm. i'm able to prep the good lunches i'm able to make a good breakfast i'm able to socialize and talk and connect with my mm. kids before they walk out the door mm. yeah yeah so with your the question was what makes you do that well yeah what keeps you going what keeps me going is all of that i see the benefits mm. i see um I see the reward. I get the reward every day of feeling better, feeling good. I see the reward of the, the connection that I have with my kids. Here's a win. Yesterday, Amira was FaceTiming a friend and me and Mary were talking at the same time about what shoes she's going to wear with her Halloween um, outfit. And Mira's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to wear them. And her friend goes, I love the relationship you have with your mum. <laughs> And so that's yeah. what keeps me going. Yeah. So it's all aspiration driven. Yeah. Like, and I want at the end of the day, when, when I'm a grandma or when I'm older and my kids are older, they can turn around and share positive stories. Yeah. Say, so yeah, our life wasn't perfect. Yes, we, we didn't have everything. And mum said no to a lot. But we had love. Yeah. We had love. We had safety. We had security. I could come home and say, mum, I did something wrong or mum, I need you. And, and you know, I, I had that stability. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. That's where I'm ending it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Um, we will catch you on the next episode of how us two came to be. The love story. The love story. Yeah. Bye. Bye for listening to another episode of Hey Mama. You can find all the relevant links, including socials, in the description section of this podcast. If you want to find out more information about how I can help you build your best body after baby, then visit my website, www.thefitmummethod.com for more info. Lastly, before you leave here today, if you've enjoyed listening, then please subscribe and share so you can help me to reach out to those mamas that also need to listen too.